Welcome to a special edition of the Invested Investor podcast. We're here today at our first book launch at Central Working at the Bradfield Centre in Cambridge. Thank you all for coming. This has been a good few years for Peter's ideas and a good year and a half of getting to the point of officially launching and having a book in people's hands. There's a lot of people in this room that have put towards this a lot and I'm just here to thank them. So the likes of our close team, Soraya, has just been absolutely incredible since the start. Still at the front on social media. (laughs) All the focus groups, the audio team, Mark, that's around, author, Kate, all the podcastees, everyone that's here. Um, that's helped out friends, family, really everything, obviously family as well. And yeah, we just hope that you all enjoy yourselves and enjoy the, the war stories that are coming up. So I'll pass you over to Peter. Thank you. What we're going to do is have about seven people who got two or three minutes each and no more just to give you an amusing anecdote of a failure in a business life. Two or three things first. One, I've got my shorts on. Who else has got their shorts on? Anybody got their shorts on? No. Now, the reason I've got my shorts on, if you look at the book on the back, there's a picture of somebody. My wife, where's Alison? Alison around? My wife loves that cartoon. The cartoonist actually is somebody that we found who does work for Private Eye called Supermodel, if you know that strip in Private Eye. For those who know me, I'm not particularly formal, so I turn up events, chairing events in Cambridge College with shorts on, which is what I'm doing here. The point about angel investing and entrepreneurs is that we as angels back people, and it's a people relationship. It's a people relationship from the point of initially meeting, getting to the point of investing, and then on the journey together. I often liken it, and several of you would have heard this, as being like being a stronger bond than a marriage. Because unfortunately, including me, some people in this room will have been divorced. Once you've invested in a startup, you cannot get divorced. The entrepreneur cannot give the money back and you can't sell the share somewhere else. It's a really strong bond. Therefore, the relationship has got to be good. Right, we're going to have quick fire, three minutes or so for each person, hopefully. <laughs> I haven't got a yellow card here. Just to talk through some failures, just to give you an idea the sort of breadth of the information we've put into the book. So let's start with Jeanette. Thank you. Invested investor extraordinaire, aka Peter Cowley, thank you, distinguished guests. On behalf of Trinity College and, of course, its Nobel Prize winning master, it is not just a pleasure, but it's a privilege to welcome you to the Bradfield Centre here this evening. We're right at the heart of the 48-year-old Cambridge Science Park. Now, talking about age, when I was young, I held firmly to the belief that it is love that makes the world go round. Now that I'm much older and marginally wiser, do you know what? I still think it's love that makes the world go round, but before you conclude that the first ever director of the Science Park is a shallow idealist, I've also learned through direct experience as a company founder myself that the axis on which the world pivots needs oiling. We cannot survive, never mind succeed, without the financial equivalent of WD-40, or to be vulgar, money. But once WD-40 can be applied by a novice hand successfully, 
the money required to oil the wheels of commercial innovation needs to be guided by, well, a more experienced hand. Q, our guest of honour this evening. I first met Peter in 1998. Back then, I was running a small business, renting a desk over in a very shabby office on the Winship Road from a friend of Peter's. My idea was simple. It involved selling companies, ranging from Ford Motor Company to Bristol Water to a bingo hall in the Midlands. You know, I would take anybody's money. I wasn't fussy. The idea was to sell them large sheets of corrugated board printed with their logos, which they would give away to their customers as sunscreen blinds, put them on the windscreen in the summer, and it would be high visible outdoor advertising for the company. What's not to love about that idea, I thought. And, being an idealist, I was convinced this business was going to make me rich. Provided, of course, the British weather mimicked that of the Costa del Sol for at least eight months of the year, which it did for the first two, and to be honest, the only two years that my company traded profitably. To this very day, my sceptical brother, John, continues to tell his friends he has the perfect formula for making a small fortune. All you've got to do, he says, is give Jeanette a large one. <laughs> now, the one thing is that even though I tried and failed, I say to him, I will not be sitting in my rocking chair when I'm in my 80s, if I'm spared, wondering what would have happened if I'd set up that car windscreen blind company. So how do you go from running a loss-making company based on cardboard to running not just the oldest science park in Europe, but arguably the most successful one? Well, that's a shaggy dog story, if ever there was one. Underpinned by dollops of determination, slugs of serendipity, and, as a visiting neuroscientist said to me at an event here on Tuesday, the gift of the gab. But you know one thing that I still haven't quite worked out as I lead this exciting phase of renewal with new buildings, big new innovation centre for biotech opening in the spring with investment from China. This is my little advertisement for the science park that I'm sneaking in here quickly, as well as a raft of other initiatives, which is based around creating a community-based innovation ecosystem and a park where people genuinely love to work. So 20 years after my entrepreneurial, or 30 years, if you believe my friend over here, I'm still trying to work out whether I am an idealist, aspiring to be a realist, or now that I've immersed myself in the world of tech and innovation, am I really a realist, aspiring to be an idealist? Peter, ladies and gentlemen, perhaps I'll never know, but thank you for listening, and... As any self-respecting idealist would say, I know you will have a truly memorable evening. Thank you. My name is Kate Kirk, and I'm a writer, and I help Peter to write his book. How long have you known Peter? I've known him, I've met him on and off over the years, probably eight, nine years. I interviewed him actually for a book I wrote before about the Cambridge phenomenon, so we have right. met each other in the past. And you have a mutual love of a certain sport. <laughs> we both play a very strange game called real tennis, which is a cross between lawn tennis, squash and chess. Never heard chess being involved in it's it. I've, very I've seen tactical. it, I didn't think, oh, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. So what was the process of co-writing the book with Peter? 
We talked about it for probably about six months. Peter mm. mentioned that he was thinking of doing this. And because I'd interviewed him for the Cambridge Phenomenon book, he started asking me questions about how he would go about it. He's a very busy man, so yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have time to actually sit down and bash away at a keyboard by himself. And I explained that I could ghostwrite it for him so we could talk about what he wanted to put into the book. And then I could write it up and then he could read through it mm. and see if I'd captured everything that he wanted to say. So we talked about it on and off for several months and then we decided to push the button and go. What drew you to the project? He has a very precise, direct and very good way of, of describing things and talking about things. And obviously he's got lots of experience in this space from both sides, from being an entrepreneur and trying to get funding and then from funding other entrepreneurs mm. and advising even more entrepreneurs. And so he's got a lot of expertise from both sides of the story. And he's very good at explaining the more complicated bits of the process that you don't often get in other books. They mm. don't often tell you what an exit might be or, yeah. or what a pivot might be. So he's gone into it in a very detailed way. And we're hoping for a bestseller. Absolutely. Well, I hear it's already flying off the shelves. So um, hopefully there might be a second print run soon. Lady Preston, you're next, I think. This is the point at which you hope you didn't pick up the wife's shopping list first thing in the morning. Don't forget the rhubarb, oh dear. Right, here, here comes the rhubarb. I'm Tony Questetter on Business Weekly, which is a print media and digital newspaper, and through the website takes companies locally to millions of potential customers, collaborators, and investors. Uh, we only have one external investor who's been in for the whole of the 30 years we'll be going, a young shaver called Herman Hauser, who co-founded Acorn Computers and Arm, and I'm happy to say we've made him exceptionally rich, but sadly for Herman, only in mind and spirit. Now, we've got to recognize one thing, businesses fail. They fail every day, and for different reasons. They're badly monetized, they've got the wrong team, they haven't done the research. In some cases, it's just not their time. Artificial intelligence reared its head in a, an identifiable form in 1956, but it's only now with the fantastic cohort of brilliant computer scientists and mathematicians in Cambridge, backed by probably the most tech-savvy bunch of investors we've had the pleasure to know, that is bringing this into its time and now. And I would say that over 30 years, I think Cambridge has been very lucky. It's had very few what you would call dodgy entrepreneurs. We did have to blow the whistle on a biotechnology entrepreneur who was peddling a super vaccine based on a miracle plant. And if you injected children in developing countries with this heptavalence, you would eradicate every disease that had ever come out of the tropics. We thought it might be worth ringing the World Health Organization. Against this guy's file, they got a figurative skull and crossbones and told us that if anyone injected a child in the developing world with this vaccine, it would blow them to smithereens. We exposed him and put in an entry for the UK Business Awards and were told we were disqualified because Business Weekly was owned by the Barclay Brothers, who owned the Telegraph, wrong. But the former editor of the Cambridge News who made that decision promptly gave Jenny Chapman, God bless her, the award for Business Journalist of the Year for a story praising this fantastic technology that would eradicate every disease that ever came out of the tropics. But there you go. We also had more recently to expose an entrepreneur who produced an alleged wonder material from which you could produce 
enough solar energy to eradicate the need for the national grid, either in this country or an equivalent anywhere else on the planet. He raised millions of pounds, went bust, and then one investor, badly stung, came back to us far too late after the horse had bolted to say that he discovered that the founding entrepreneur had raised all the cash based on a false identity, including a forged passport. We uh, identified the administrators who uh, begged to say they didn't know anything about it, but they would inform the government. Another biotech entrepreneur who's still operating and is raising funds has formed nine companies, raised something like 20 million, folded the lot. If you look at his record in Companies House, it looks like an advert for Alka-Seltzer. All you see is dissolved, 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 <laughs> dissolved. He's at it again. Healthcare is particularly vulnerable at the moment. People are looking for miracle products. You'll read about anti-aging chocolates and everything else. But if you dig deeper, some of these products have got so much sugar that you're in danger. You know, you think, okay, I need as much chocolate as I want for the rest of my life. Sit back and wait for the telegram from the king, for a king it shall be. And, you know, who wants to be the world's first 40-stone centenarian? You know, you, you, if, if an idea looks too good to be true, it almost certainly isn't true. An American friend of mine has a very basic attitude to investments. He says, and pardon my French, I do deal the crap out of it. And he has what he calls his outlaw. So first of all, he chills out, so he's not rushing into it. Then he finds out using all the assets he can. And if it doesn't check out, he stays out so he doesn't get caught out. So if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, then probably what you're looking at is a duck. But if it lacks any of those characteristics, you might have a turkey on your hands, and the only product you're going to be left holding a share of is the kind that normally emanates from a bull's hindquarters. Peter, thank you very much. My name is Emmy Nicholl, and I work for Cambridge Angels. I've known Peter just over a year now. And you know him through Cambridge Angels, obviously. I do, yes. I was introduced to him through my network in Cambridge. What attracts you to Peter as a person, as an investor? Peter is wonderfully authentic. I think that's the best word I would use to describe him. He's really himself. He's an inspiration. I would regard him as my mentor, but he's just truly authentic. Peter is Peter. He is honest, sometimes brutally so, but in such a positive way that you really know exactly where you stand. And have you read the book? Of course I have. The book is incredible. It was a real learning experience for me. My role in Cambridge Angels is relatively new, so I learned a lot about uh, angel investing and our group of angels. And what do you actually do at Cambridge Angels? Well, I have the best job title in the world. It's Deal Sorcerer. <laughs> <laughs> My role is indeed to source deals for the Cambridge Angels, but also to help the organisation be a bit more functional, a bit more streamlined, a bit more efficient. And if you could say in a sentence what you love most about your job, what is it? The network. I absolutely love meeting all of our members and engaging with the network. I've met really incredibly interesting people and I don't regret a moment of any event that I go to, any people that I talk to, any people that I meet. It's wonderful. I'd better let you get networking then, haven't I? <laughs> Thank you very much. Richard, I think, has probably flown in from the most distance, come from Krakow, British, I've known for years. Richard. Okay, so this is a four-minute speech delivered in two minutes. My name's Richard. I'm from Poland, where the politics is in crisis. The country is deeply divided between progressive modernizers and nationalists who don't like immigrants, and the pollution gets really bad in the winter, and I'm going to London tomorrow. 
So why did I come from Krakow to be with you here tonight? First and foremost, because Peter wanted me to tell the story of the potential business partner who had $30,000 in cash and a gun in his briefcase when he opened it. Luckily, he didn't make me an offer I couldn't refuse. Um, I will tell that story, but I'm here for three reasons. Because among Peter's stack Hanovite achievements has been to help build CAM entrepreneurs worldwide. He's been to meetings with me in New York twice, in London twice, in Warsaw twice, and we had a meeting in Sydney, Australia last week, to which neither Peter nor I attended. He's shared the cost of organizing the events. He doesn't like to waste his money or his time, as you all know, but helping getting that going deserves your attention, appreciation, and support. As far as the invested investor is concerned, Peter may not be a billionaire yet, but I would say he's doing quite well. But, you know, I'm a TEDx organizer and a TED supporter, and TED is about ideas worth spreading, and the invested investor is an idea worth spreading. He's not just doing his job well of being a great investor and, and supporter, but he's spreading knowledge and good practice, not just for investors, but for entrepreneurs as well. And in this way, the work he's doing is raising standards, and at least for angel investors and entrepreneurs, making the world a better place. Finally, the guy with the briefcase. You should be really careful who you go into business with. Of course, I didn't accept the money or the gun from Marek, the guy with the gun. But there's an old Irish poem, which I think time allows me to share. One evening in October, when I was far from sober, my feet began to stutter and I lay down in the gutter. A pig came up and lay down by my side. You can tell a man who boozes by the company he chooses. The pig got up and slowly walked away. Um, on other occasions, I've chosen the wrong people to go into business with and lost a great deal of money. But I'm glad to say that Peter is not one of them and I'm happy and proud to be in business with Peter. Thanks very much. My name's Mike Schlamm. I'm from the Cambridge Independent, and I'm here being interviewed by Mark, who's uh, asking me questions about what's going on this evening and how I know Peter Cowley. What draws you to Peter, specifically? What is something unique about what Peter does? Yeah, I mean, well, firstly, he's very embedded in the culture here, and, uh, you know, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, we would have been at, uh, at CB2 or or some other sort of hangout in, in the centre of town. And now we're right. at the Bradfield Centre, which is a sort of, you know, £20 million building, and it's just yeah. absolutely fabulous, and it's incredible to see how Cambridge is evolving in this way. And it's on the Science Park, obviously, which has had a, a long-time reputation. Mm. But, you know, this is a whole different scale of amazing. So that's one kind of, like, tribute to Peter. And the other one is that, I mean, he's targeted a very interesting space, which is between very early-stage companies yeah. who wouldn't get venture capital and the angel investors who are able to fund them. And that's a very interesting, competitive, but also precarious place to operate in. And he's got a really good track record of making money and supporting and uh, encouraging the development of early stage businesses in Cambridge. So hats off to him. I'm a, I'm a big fan. He's very honest. He's very insightful. And, you know, he, he nails it. And you kind of like, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, no, yeah, of course he's right. You, know, you have that feeling of like, yeah even though it might make you feel a little bit like, oh, I'm a bit slow, I've been sort of like, you know, I've, I missed the point. Yeah. You go like, well, he, you know, he got it, and so hats off to him. But, I mean, he's obviously had experience and expertise that's grown over kind of like, you know, decades, I guess you could say, of mm. the Cambridge phenomenon. 
and you know that stood him in good stead but he's still very much got his feet you know on the ground and he's at a grassroots level he's functioning in a very successful way that contributes an awful lot to the ecosystem here where do you see Cambridge in 10 years? that's a very good question it's obviously becoming a much more international kind of city the hub is kind of like broadening out hopefully the life sciences situation will develop i mean the ai the technology side is as well is is going very well but we have to accept that what started off as a sort of like very kind of clubbable sort of like environment where it's like you know if you knew someone that you could get something done and you could get some investment and you're up and running is suddenly under a, a massive microscope and it's performing very well under that microscope and i think it will continue to perform very well actually and i think one of the good things that's happening is that the companies like huawei or taskpark or whatever who, who are coming here are actually adapting their model to the cambridge sector you know rather than expecting the sector to adapt to them, to them. and i think that's a really important cultural phenomenon which will stand uh, cambridge in good stead in the years to come and now we have Katie, who's been on the whole journey right from the beginning. It was her that I shared it with about two and a half years ago. It was, yes. I'm a coach and I work in the Cambridge ecosystem, both sides of the deal. And as Peter said, this journey began with some conversations about what Peter stood for. I'm Peter's coach, um, some of you already know that. And we were talking about what Peter stood for and what contribution he wanted to make to the ecosystem and, and to the world in the early stage business sector that we work in. It's been a real privilege to be part of that and to be here tonight and Peter invite me to talk about failure (laughs) and as we get to this point where the book is launched and it's really happening. I'm a serial entrepreneur myself and you can read about my failures in the book. Uh, I'm not going to do any spoilers tonight, although one of my fellow entrepreneurs said to me earlier this week, Katie, your failures were all entirely avoidable and very stupid. So you can make that judgment when you read the book. What I did want to say is that I have noticed a change over my lifetime in how people view failure. And one of my personal experiences has given me a lot of faith and a lot of confidence to go out and to continue with my entrepreneurial journey. It was Peter who encouraged me when I achieved the magnificent failure that you can read about, that I should phone each and every one of my investors. Now, there were quite a lot of them because we had done a crowdfund and I just wanted to run away and hide. Peter had me phone them all. And I got on the phone to the first one, one of the bigger investors, and I fessed up and I said, I admit I failed, here's why, what I've done, here's what's happened, waiting for the the judgment. And this first investor, absolutely brilliant, said, oh wow, you called me, I'm surprised. (laughs) You know, I expected you to just run away. You called me, great. Um, So call me again when you're ready for me to back your next venture. Honestly, that's true. And I was just so excited. I thought, okay, phone the next investor. And I didn't get that every time. (laughs) But I actually had most of my investors say, good on you for admitting you failed. And great, thanks for ringing. And that that was the most common result. And I have gone ahead and, and I have had some successes, which are probably far less interesting than my failures. But I just wanted to share that experience. As part of the whole spirit of the invested investor, for us to not be afraid and to put ourselves out there. And actually in the opening speech as well, you know, we're never going to say what if, if we try and fail, that's fine. So I'm okay with being made famous in Peter's book for failure. Thank you. <laughs>
I'm Katie. I'm a business coach working in the Cambridge early stage business ecosystem. And I work with leaders both sides of the deal, with VCs and angels, as well as founders and CEOs, to find their own brilliance, to deliver the results they need to within their businesses. You've worked with both Peter and Alan, haven't you? I have, yes. Mainly with Peter. So Peter and I have been working together for, I think it's nearly five years now. So I've been very privileged to be part of what's ended up being the Invested Investor book. It's quite a journey, actually. When we first started talking about Peter's It was about his brand and about the fact that he had started to become well-known and asked Mm. to do more and more speaking and more and more support to various different businesses and groups. And he said, what am I going to do with this? What's the point, Mm. basically? And we sat and we talked about what he stood for. And I kept trying to bring him back to what he really wanted to do in the Mm. world, what he wanted to contribute, what he was standing for. And there was a lot around transparency. That's always been a big thing for Peter. And we actually filmed that coaching session. So I have a little clip of about two minutes of Peter talking about what he stood for and what it was that he wanted to do and who he wanted to be. So that was quite a useful grounding. Hmm. And from then, there was quite a lot of idea generation from other people in Peter's life about how he could get out there and and achieve more. So I remember writing a project plan at one point, which was originally called Peter Goes Live. I never was much for a branding. (laughs) (laughs) The invested investor idea came later from someone. But Peter Goes Live was a project plan that included the things that he wanted to do. It had on it the podcasts, which of course you know well about. And Alan then at that point came and said, oh, I could do that. And it was quite, you know, a really great moment of realisation that that's a partnership that could really take this forward. And that's when I stepped back from the project itself, stayed working with Peter on a one-to-one basis. But then the Invested Investor took on a life of its its own. own, And and it's just, I mean, it's amazing to be here today and see this actually happening. (laughs) The the book's launched, there are all these hundreds of people reading it and will be thousands and... You know, the impact this is going to have. It's just brilliant. Have you actually been helping Peter and Alan? Because that, to me, working with your father... Yeah. I, I did for half a day once, and, and that was enough. <laughs> but, I don't think I could either. <laughs> but, but have you coached them through that? Yes. I wouldn't want to overstate my role in it. Mainly, I work with Peter. And I think one of the things as a coach you get very good at is knowing boundaries. Mm. So I've worked with Alan on some very specific things, at Alan's request, on how he could engage effectively with Peter how he could run the project and how he could I mean he's Alan Cowley right so that mm. you know how he could be individually having his own mark on it which yeah. he clearly does yes. so we talked you know th- about things like that as a coach when I'm working with Alan I'm completely in Alan's world and I'm standing there listening for Alan's brilliance and what Alan can be and I almost don't think about what Peter might think And that's quite an important skill. And then when I'm working with Peter, it's exactly the same. And, you know, and I'm not bringing in anything that Alan's told me in confidence to that conversation. And it's quite a common thing to have to do as a coach, because I'll often be working, for example, with a founder and a board member or Mm. with two co-founders or with two members of an executive team who are in each other's world and will, or with, you know, with an investor and a well, I suppose you, one of the main things you have to do is build a, a sense of confidence. That person has a confidence in you. That and they what have they tell to know you, yeah. that I will not break any confidences of what they say. You know, so when I'm working with one person, it's all about them, all about them. And yeah. my interest is in them and how they can perform and nothing about how I or that person will have any wider role. That's just one of the things about being a coach and it seems to have worked with Peter and Alan. And, I, you know, and we've worked together in focus groups and stuff. I facilitated a few of those and 
that's easy. <laughs> well, I know you've got a failure in the book, but I think your coaching skills are a complete success. Oh, thank you. <laughs> good evening. My name's John Bradford. I have the good fortune of being a director of this amazing space and uh, work very closely with the guys from Central Working to make magic happen here for entrepreneurs. So the question was asked of me, um, failure. I have 107 investments, Peter. I would probably say without actually knowing the specific number, most of those are failures, as is anyone who has invested early stage in seed investment. The really embarrassing story is in 2012, I approached Peter and said, I have a really good idea. And he said, yeah, mm-hmm. I said, springboard out care of Neil Davison, who did an amazing job at Redgate. Why don't we do IoT and hardware? Well, let's say over the last seven years, we have slowly drawn lines through not one, not two. How many did we have in that portfolio? Uh, I think it was eight. I don't think one got to the end of the program. Anyway, I think we technically have one left. Two. Three, I think you're being generous. The thing I learned from that was not necessarily failure or the fact that IoT and hardware is hard and their timing really sucked badly was actually the level of a cooperation and support I've actually had from Peter through that whole process is incredibly embarrassing because I feel like I owe him a lot more than I have delivered, particularly in financial terms from that program. He has been amazingly supportive and a great mentor during that process. And and everything which is in the book is a a fair and good representation of what he is. And if you ever have to do investment, it's not what happens when you win, it's how investors behave when they don't win, is a, a real representation of them and themselves. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Simon, you're next, and then we have more winners to finish. Uh, Good evening, everybody. I'm going to be very uh, short and to the point. Uh, Delighted to be here, delighted to have contributed to the book. I'm Simon Thorpe. I'm a a Cambridge angel, a prolific investor, I should say, in technology companies run by young men and young women. So I was asked, somebody just approached me just now and said, I hear you're going to be talking about failures. And I thought, oh dear, which one am I going to start with? I've had quite a few of them. So like many of the earlier speakers, We all share plenty of failures. Fortunately, I've had some successes, and you can read about some of those, e.g. SwiftKey, in the book. But I'm going to tell you just one story about a failure. It's called the 10 percenter. So it's my first exit, technically. I thought I'd done fantastically well. I was about to get the big check for my first exit. And it's called the 10 percenter because the acquirer had the great idea that they were going to pay all the investors just 10 percent of the money in cash up front. So we got the first 10%. It wasn't a very big check. I was very hopeful of the next 90%. The next bit of news was we were going to get the next 20% in cash in the following months. And then the the remaining 70% was going to be in shares of the acquirer. And the acquirer, we were led to believe, was quite a large company. Until about a month later, the company went bust. 
So we only got 10% of our exit. So we call it the 10%er, a great example of perceived success but turned into a, a huge failure. Fortunately, I've had lots of successes since and failures. Many of the examples of failures I've had mirror some of the earlier stories we've heard tonight. The founders not listening. I call it the good eyes but not very good ears. We've had companies simply running out of money. We've had all sorts of different failures. So I've had plenty of experience. I just want to echo that the book is a super read. It's a Bible for young entrepreneurs and for young investors who are thinking about getting started for the first time. Thank you all. Simon, thank you very much. I'm Simon Thorpe, a Cambridge angel and an investor in early stage technology companies, largely in Cambridge and London. Now, Simon, you've had some involvement with the book, haven't you? Yes, I contributed by being part of the focus group that originally conceived the book. Then I read the draft and gave commentary on some of the chapters. And then we thought about, having read it the first time, we then thought about some of the things that might need to change in it, some of the cartoons that we might want to add to demonstrate some of the points. And we thought about whether uh, there were issues that might be misinterpreted because they were you know, incorrectly worded. What's the biggest takeaway for you from the book? Well, what Peter's trying, really trying to do is to give best practice in angel investing in early stage companies. Hence the name Invested Investor, because he's really talking about the two sides of the coin, the investor and the entrepreneur who yeah. sets up these businesses. I get the same thing from everyone. Peter's straight talking, but he's honesty as well. And is that what draws you to well, that's what Well, that's what the book really is about. It's about best practice. It's about transparency. It's about being really clear about what investors are looking for. And it's about being really clear to entrepreneurs about what makes a good entrepreneur and what investors look for in a good entrepreneur. Are you a serial angel investor? I, I'm afraid I am. <laughs> so, I, I've invested in probably 40 to 50 companies. And for you personally, why do you do it? Well, Peter said it's actually about people. And I've yeah. always been interested in businesses because it's about the people that conceive a business idea. And then I'm obviously looking for innovative technology and I like intellectual property and I like a big market. But mm. it starts with the people. Peter makes that very clear when he speaks. He makes it very clear in the book. Because everyone talks about a team. A good team can fix a bad idea, but a bad team can fail with a good idea, can't they? Bad teams can destroy good ideas, that's for sure. Good teams start off usually with two very complementary people, one technical, one commercial, and they are, if they're going to be good, they know how to hire good people around them. Where do you see angel investing in the next 10 years? I think the concept of early stage investing in companies has grown significantly over the last decade. It will be cyclical, so valuations don't always go up, but uh, this is something that's here to stay. I think it's a long-term trend because the reality is there are many more forms of capital available to companies now than there were a generation ago, where really it was very, very difficult in the private markets to find any capital. Now there are many more opportunities for the entrepreneurs. That's good. Good evening, everybody. It's lovely to see you. My name's Modwena, and I do all sorts of things, but I hang out in the angel world, write about angel stuff, write books, do conferences, do non-exec work. That's sort of my background. And I know many faces in the audience. Lovely to see you all tonight. Um, so I've got three minutes, and I've got so many failures, I thought I'd let you choose which failure I spoke about. So do you want to, or maybe I should say, maybe not failure, risk, very high risk. Um, so would you like the story about heroin, pornography, or love? Heroin's a good story. Okay, so two seconds background. I've worked in the city. I've run away to get married to the love. Missed that story. Bad luck. Hear about it later. And I'm hanging out in Somerset with my children, finding the school playground pretty scary. 
And these entrepreneurs turn up in my life and say, we've got this great new tin can, which you can press a button and it will blow up internally inside using a clever chemical and make the thing inside the can hot. So we're going to sell this to Nescafe as a sort of Coke can for coffee. Seemed quite a good idea. Seemed like quite nice people. I was pretty bored. So it was, uh, seemed like it would keep me, me busy. My husband was very pleased already, even though it was early on in our marriage. That would be a good idea to keep me busy. So I hooked up with these guys, started learning how to do things like VAT returns and other exciting things, which I had no idea existed. And then they said, oh, let's raise some money. So I said, I can do that. I've been in the city. I'm 27. I'm really clever. And so off I toddled to the city and met some very nice people I'm still friends with, saying, I've got this great idea. They said, we can float it on this new stock market called AIM. It's brilliant. It's an amazing technology company. And then they said in the next meeting, we still like this. We still think we've sounded out the institutions. They'll back it. It's going to be great. Can you just tell me a bit about your team? So I rang up my main entrepreneur friend and said, I've had this question. Could you just tell me anything I need to know about the team? And he said, what, you mean my friend who was um, in jail for a couple of years for smuggling heroin, uh, aged 18? I was like, oh, thanks very much. Bye. That's my story. (laughs) So, risk and failure come in all sorts of places. Now, if I'm allowed 30 more seconds, I thought it might be a nice idea to tell you the story about the Englishman, the Irishman, and the Scottish archaeologists. Have you ever heard this story? Well, it starts, the English archaeologist goes into his field, he digs down, possibly near Cambridge, finds some copper wire and rings up his friends, guess, guess what, guys? It was the English we discovered. Telecommunications, I have the proof. Copper wire in the ground. It's a Scotsman. Rises to the challenge, goes to Scotland, he digs down 20 feet in his field, finds copper wire, and he rings up his friends and says, no, 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 bad luck, it was the Scots we discovered telecommunications. The Irishman, meanwhile, gets on his plane, goes to his peat bog, digs down 30 feet, but no copper wire. So he rings up his friends, oh, you may have invented telecommunications, but we invented wireless. (laughs) I'm Modwena Rees-Mogg, and I do a whole range of stuff around the angel and VC market, ranging from writing for Angel News, which I own, to network, to running conferences, to writing books. And I'm currently writing a book on angel investing for the academic university market. Our listeners will have heard your episode and all your war stories. You've had an amazing journey, but maybe you could just give us a few thoughts on Peter. I think one of the things I admire and respect about Peter is the way he remains open to doing new things. So mm. I do quite a lot of stuff abroad and surprise, surprise, there's Peter in Istanbul <laughs> or in uh, Bulgaria the other day. We were at something together and I think uh, that shows a spirit of open-mindedness that stretches beyond geographies of his attitude to life and his preparedness to do new things, engage with different sorts of people, help people do great things and such a kind man and so important behaves well he's honest he's straight and he tells it as it is even if you may not like it or you may not like saying it where do you see angel investing in the next 10 years i think what we're going to see is more data to start coming out the angel world's always been quite a secretive world Mm. probably by accident rather than design because i sit across and see many different angels many different types of angels and see many different things going on. I see pockets where people do it really well. Mm. And I see larger pockets where most people don't do it very well. And therefore, from my point of view, that's terrible because the market churns. So people come into the market, get all invested, start realizing it's not as easy as that, and then tend to stop and go away or suddenly go quiet. And that's not good for the things I do. So I want to improve that. And I want those people to have a better investing experience. Most people invest because they believe a business might make it 
they don't deliberately invest in a business that will not make it. Yes. So there must be hope when they first invest and something goes wrong afterwards. So that's one of my most curious things. But I think that will begin to be worked out and people will start saying, hmm, well, we've seen this and seen that and the information will become more available and people will begin to realise how to resolve the challenges and help overcome them. People are too polite in England, really. All frightfully nice. I don't want to call it out. But actually, sometimes, maybe we'll be better. You need to be more straight, like Peter is, maybe. I think straight like Peter is. You've summed it up in one. Well, I can't believe it. This was seven or eight people. We've managed it in exactly the half hour, as long as I don't drag on. I was really, really quite worried. Our team were quite worried. Everybody would end up with five minutes and multiply that up with 45 minutes. So a couple more things. Just want to point out, this is actually a social venture in many ways. I'd love at some point to, to break even, but the idea behind it is to get better entrepreneurial journeys. So this is change I'm trying to create. So one of the things I really would like from the group of you at some point is work out how to measure this. How on earth does one measure the fact that somebody's made some change in something? We can measure content delivery. We can measure to some extent content consumption, but actually the effects of that. So. Hopefully most of you read it, pass the message on. We want this to be, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm president of the trade body in Europe, the European Business Angel Network. So I've got reach throughout Europe. So this will get further than just Cambridge, although the book is obviously focused on a lot of people in this room because of my contacts. The idea is to spread it out much further. So at some point, feedback to me how you think I'm ever going to measure the fact that it's actually made a difference. It's been great fun. It's been absolutely wonderful fun working with my son and vice versa. And I should point out, Katie's been coaching us both to cope with each other. So if any of you, <laughs> any of you out there has tried working with a, a father-son relationship or whatever, or even a husband-wife relationship, I suspect, then it's worth talking to Katie about that. No more speeches. Do network. More drink, no doubt. Hopefully a bit more food for those who are a little bit starving like me. And thank you so much for coming. So here we are at the end of a very long night. But actually, Peter, for you, it's the end of two and a half years? Yeah, two and a half years since I had the first idea, which wasn't this at all. It was an event or a society or something like that, or a conference, and it then morphed into something that would grow to a much bigger audience and then turned into podcasts and the book. Alan, how's the evening been for you? Brilliant. We've seen a lot of people have helped out with the project over the last year and a half. Come along, we've seen new faces, and the people that spoke were just absolutely fantastic and given us real life stories of the failures and also the successes that we see day in day out in the startup world a lot of the people i've spoken to tonight two things that stand out when they talk about you peter are your honesty and how straightforward you are with people people might not always want to hear the straight talk but i think it's important isn't it yes i mean that's because i come from the north come from yorkshire where people are a bit blunt and direct and southerners don't normally like that sort of thing but in the end you're wasting nobody's time if you tell them the answer what you must do is bracket it with the fact that it's my opinion you know there are plenty of other opinions out there i'm not always right so i think it's been two and a half years great work and more things to come no doubt Yes, book two is being planned tomorrow. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers, Mark. Thanks for listening to another Invested Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investedinvestor.com, or via a number of podcast platforms online. Remember, you can order our book online. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting, and insightful content from The Invested Investor. Investor.